Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 131, The Dauphin. Welcome in the Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we get to know the characters on Star Trek. Or do we? Hmm. This week, the Dauphin, which is English for Le Dauphin. <laughs> that's, that's, see, I, I thought you were going to do the English to French. The, or, yeah. Huh? Well, okay, so th- this is funny to me. I, I don't know if you uh, ever heard Penn Gillette when he had a radio show, um, but he mentioned something about in Vegas, there was uh, uh, a nightclub at one of the, I think it was at the Paris, called the Le Bistro stage where it was like called <laughs> the Le Bistro Cafe or whatever it was. Nice. And, and he was like, yeah. So literally the English translation is the, the cafe, cafe, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Except wouldn't you want to translate it to Le the cafe bistro, right? <laughs> or something right. like that. Exactly. We could do this all show. We could, or we could. we could let other people do it for us. If you'd like oh, to right write on. in with the, uh, Rough English to French to English translation of today's episode. <laughs> uh, there are a number of ways you can actually get in touch with us. Um, Mission Log Pod is the way to get in touch with us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. So just remember Mission Log Pod, no spaces in that. And you can find us in all three of those places. You can call us 323-522-5641. That number again, 323-522-5641. You can email us or email us, missionlog at roddenberry.com. We do have a show website we would love for you to check out. It has discovered documents and all kinds of other fun stuff. Missionlogpodcast.com is the place to find that. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Hey, side note to that, people are really taking to the website and leaving just a, a multitude of comments and commentary. It's very cool to see. I love it. Are we actually doing comments on the website? We are. Wow. You should go there. And maybe I should check it out sometime. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, good. Yeah. Tell you what, um, I'll go check out the comments there right now uh, while you take care of trivia. Fantastic. All right. Today's episode was directed by Rob Bowman, a name that we see a lot in Next Generation. It was written by the team of Scott Rubenstein and Leonard Mladenov. Now, they had collaborated as story editors for The Outrageous Okana and then wrote The Dauphin. Mladenov is a physicist. He has collaborated on books with Stephen Hawking and been published many times on his own. And uh, the, the side note to this is something that I find just incredibly entertaining about Leonard Mladenov. Um, if you go to YouTube and you look up Deepak Chopra versus Leonard Mladenov, there was a, an event at Caltech years ago. Chopra was giving a talk, and um, the, there were people in the audience kind of questioning maybe the scientific validity 
of what Chopra was saying. And this guy stands up and he says, uh, hey, if you want me to explain this to you, I'm a physicist. And that is Leonard Mladenov. Now, this could have been a very uh, contentious uh, arrangement, contentious relationship. And it was. But to the credit of both of them. Chopra and Mladenov actually collaborated and they did a series of sort of talks slash debates and they wrote a book together called War of the Worldviews where both of them could kind of express what their, well, worldview was like and how, how they differed. So good on both of them for doing that. Now, Ken, you mentioned Dauphin. Uh, Dauphin is literally dolphin in English. Dauphin, Dauphin being the French uh, word for dolphin. And it was a term used for the heir apparent to the throne from, well, definitely before the 14th century, uh, but officially as a French monarchy starting in the 14th century. So a dolphin appears on the coat of arms for the family of the Count de Vienne, uh, which is a region in the southeast of France. The area that they ruled was sold to the French monarch in 1349 with the condition that Dauphin still be used as a name for that heir apparent. This episode marks Will Wheaton's first on-screen kiss, and uh, he did take a little bit of ribbing for this one, and he uh, he made that kind of a bit in some of his convention appearances, talking about the hideous monster that he got to kiss. Um now, only a handful of acting credits show up for Jamie Hubbard. She, of course, was a young woman who played Celia, and uh, the acting credits stop in the early 90s. She is actually a licensed psychotherapist, and she was about 10 years older than Will when they made this episode. Patty Edwards plays Anya, and she has a long list of credits to her name. In more recent years, she has done a lot of voice work, including a lot for Disney. She did the voices of Flotsam and Jetsam in The Little Mermaid, among many others. Uh, forgive me, you say um, more recently, but she actually did uh, pass away um, actually several years ago as we record this. Right. She did pass away in 1999, most of that time between doing next gen doing this episode that we're talking about today and up until the time of her death she did a lot of voiceover work yeah um now one of the guises taken by anya uh was played by Majin amik and uh this was her very first tv credit now of course she has done a lot of tv since then and she's probably best known as shelly on twin peaks and interestingly enough, she actually auditioned for the role of Celia in this episode. And it is cool to point out that the transition scenes uh, from the characters into monsters and back were actually hand-painted animation. So that was the technique used to uh, create the morph effects in this show. Look, there is no easy way to say this. This is a Wesley episode with everything good and bad that that entails. Prologue. Things are a little quiet on the Enterprise. They've arrived at Clavdia 3 to pick up Celia, who is to be transported to the world that she is to lead. More of that routine taking someone important from point A to point B adventure. During the downtime, Jordy has work to do in engineering, and he sends Wesley to retrieve a part. Just Wesley's luck, he bumps into the guest of honor from Clavdia 3, and she's a girl about Wesley's age. And she's cute. Like, way cute in that teenage boys are going to be useless to think about anything else kind of way. 
Only bummer is that Celia is traveling with a governess, a caretaker named Anya, who is a small but tough older woman who makes it known right away that they are not on a social call. Too bad, Wes. Act one. Well, the boy genius isn't going to give up too easily. He tries to get a little more info out of data, but oops, he forgot to bring that part down to engineering. The discussion about his new crush will have to wait. On the bridge, we're settling in for the trip to Daled 4, where Celia will eventually do her predestined job as negotiator, mediator, ruler. Not a whole lot is known, but Troy is getting the feeling that the guests are not themselves. Like, literally, they are hiding something, or at least they seem to be something other than who they appear to be. Ah, well, it's probably nothing. The card checks in. Yep, everything is A-OK. No, still not sitting right with Deanna, or Worf for that matter. Cut to Celia's quarters, and hey, wait a minute. Who replaced the cranky governess with a fetching young woman who's having girl talk with Celia? Whoever she is, she's trying to give her friend a kind of pep talk about her new job. She's nicer. Maybe she'll stick around. And then, hey, hey, uh, okay, now where did she go and who replaced that young woman with a bug-eyed teddy bear that speaks to Celia and chirps and clicks? I mean, it, it's cute too, but in a very different way. In engineering, Wesley is quickly losing his reputation as a whiz kid. He's preoccupied by thoughts of Celia and Jordy lets him call it a day. It was either that or Wesley was probably going to do something careless and put the whole ship in danger. Jordy doesn't have time to explain how to talk to women to Wesley, so he tries his luck on the bridge. No, neither Worf nor Data can really help the awkward teen get over his uh, awkwardness and explain how to just go up and start a conversation. Picard calls down to the guest quarters again and offers a tour of the ship. That bug-eyed teddy bear is definitely going, but tells Celia she can't. Oh, wait a second. Now we see that the bug-eyed teddy bear morphs into Anya herself. All three of these forms are one in the same person. No matter what form she's in, though, it's clear to Celia that she is to stay in her room. Act 2. Wesley is trying to get romantic advice from, well, who else? Commander William T. Riker. In 10 forward, Wesley, Guinan, have a seat. Riker straddles his. And the bearded one starts laying on lines with the bartender. She's kind of digging it. Really digging it. It's working for her. But not for the young ensign. Worf is showing Anya around the ship, and she's doing a bang-up job of irritating everyone she comes into contact with. She starts with Geordi and engineering, making a masterpiece out of the fine art of condescension. Lucky for Wesley that Anya is away. He stops by Celia's quarters, dumbstruck just long enough for the door to open and reveal Celia. And she seems happy to see Wesley. So turn up the cute but awkward to 11. It's time for the kids to get to know each other. Wesley starts by showing what really is one of the coolest things on the ship, the replicator. She's never had chocolate mousse before. And hey, this stuff is free. Next stop for Anya is sickbay. Nothing to see here except Dr. Pulaski treating a patient. When Anya asks about the diagnosis, the doctor replies that it's andronesian encephalitis, and not to worry, it's all under control. Anya, one might say, overreacts. The disease is contagious, even though the doctor says not really. She doesn't like that answer, though, and demands that the doctor kill the patient. 
Now, Dr. Pulaski may have some shortcomings, but killing a patient is not her M.O. Very well, then. Anya goes all season two of Space 1999 and morphs into a very big, very strong beast that seems intent on killing that poor man on the examination table. Act three. The creature Anya has morphed into has his hands around Worf's neck. Pulaski calls security, but before they can get off a shot, the captain strolls in to stop the ruckus. Anya will go back to her quarters. While she's on Picard's ship, he is in charge. Oh, and the secret is out. Anya is in a lassomorph. She changes into things. Oblivious to all of this are Celia and Wesley. He's showing her the other cool tricks in the Enterprise, like the holodeck. They're exploring the rich varieties of the universe, but Celia has resigned herself that she will never explore beyond the job she has on Dalad 4. When Anya returns to her room, and after a verbal spar with Worf, she finds that Celia is gone. Where is she? At 10 forward with Wesley sharing more chocolate over the sense of melancholy that she will be isolated on her world. Wesley wants her to stay, but her duty means she'll have to break this kid's heart and her own in the process. She's upset and gets up from the table. But when Wesley follows her into the corridor, there's Picard and Anya. Time to break this party up. Thought Wesley was sad when he failed the entrance exam to the academy? Yeah, this might be worse. Act 4. Picard lays down the law with Wesley. Since Anya is an elasomorph and certainly dangerous, there is to be no more fraternizing with Celia. That boy is sad as sad can be. In Celia's room, it's not going much better. Though the speech has a slightly different ring to it, Anya sees everything that is not Celia's mission as a potential danger. While Celia tries to make a case for her own will, Anya reminds her of her destiny. Wesley is playing Space Battleship by himself when there's a ring at the door. It's Celia. Oh, these kids. She's making up for lost time and plants one right on Wesley. Before he can let that sink in, though, here comes Anya in the guise of a hideous furry monster. Celia tries to get Wesley to leave, but he won't, calling for security instead. To mitigate the threat, Celia now transforms into a hideous animal. Too bad, kid. Your girlfriend is Bigfoot. Act 5. Picard tightens security. Again. Conditions on Dalad 4 are not exactly what one might call hospitable to human life. The Enterprise can't read much down there through the thick atmosphere, but there is a signal from the planet with beam-down coordinates for Celia. Worf heads off to retrieve her, but not before Anya has a moment with her to explain that this is where they part ways. Anya's duty is done, and she'll go live on a moon nearby. Now it's Celia's time to grow into the person she is to become. Well, figuratively for now, though literally we've seen what she can do. Their parting is bittersweet, and it looks like Celia has gained a little understanding for where Anya is coming from. Celia drops by to say goodbye to Wesley. He's in no mood. That heartbreak is making him a bit caustic toward her. Might have something to do with not knowing if she's for real. At the very least, she's trying to make nice before she leaves. He'd rather sulk. When the transporter is set, Celia goes to the platform. At the last moment, Wesley shows up with a bowl of chocolate mousse. See? As far as teenagers go, he's not so bad. Celia wants him to leave since she'll have to transform before beaming down. This time, it's not a hideous furry monster. It's a glowing, amorphous ball of light. It's actually kind of beautiful. But there's no future there, especially if he ever wanted to take her out to a movie. In 10 forward, Wesley is licking his wounds over a 7-up. 
he's got the heartbreak bad. But Guinan cheers him up with a little advice. You won't actually love anyone like this ever again, because each time it will be different. Doesn't make this one any less special. The end. So you went seven up. I was going to go Sprite. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I thought about that. Yeah. Staring for a lonely into his glass of Sprite. <laughs> I've, I've decided, by the way, what my costume is for the next convention. Uh-huh. I'm going to be on you because, oh. you know, I'm, I'm that right now. As far <laughs> as anybody knows. That's right. I can just be that. You know, like, what are you supposed to be? I'll even walk through, you know, just dress like me. I'll even walk through the costume thing. And yeah, yeah. Kind of like Wednesday Adams, you know. Serial killers can look like anyone. <laughs> right, I'm, right. I'm security for uh, for what's her name, Celia. She was yeah. just here. You just oh, that's him over there. And then you'd be like, no, don't look at me because when I transform, I'll be hideous. I'm hideous. So I'll stay in my present form. <laughs> exactly. Oh no, don't look at me. I want you to remember me. Awesome. <laughs> Not totally awesome, which yeah. is you know what yeah. she actually is. Although that was that was very funny. I almost wasn't able to come out without laughing. It was very funny. The whole. He can never take her to a movie. <laughs> well, it's, it's it, it, it limits their dating life a little. Yeah. It would indeed. She said, oh, he's walking around with that uh, that super magnet uh, at the beginning of the show. And she's yeah. like, hey, that'll rip the iron rat out of your blood cells, which, uh, wow, cool. And uh, I, I hope that it's protected very well. And it's just like Magneto. Uh, we got to see years <laughs> later in the X-Men. I have a question, though. So mm-hmm. where where are they going to need these magnets? Um, yeah, yeah, Boy, and, that, and engineering, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So where are they keeping these magnets? In the ship store, somewhere else. Yeah, <laughs> just checking. Yeah, all right. Yeah, he could have said, you know, Jordy is like, hey, beam one of those over to me. That, yeah, it's that a thing that should be here in a cabinet anyway. Or I would think that engineering might have replicators of some sort, a three D printer. Cool. I mean, you yeah, know, we're getting right. those today as yeah. we sit here and record. I mean, not you and me today. Mm-hmm. Well, that would be neat, though. That would be awesome. Yeah, yeah. if you want to put that on the requisition list for mission <laughs> log, but <laughs> but yeah, you know, I'm, I'm thinking why and send the kid. Yeah, send the kid, mm-hmm. and they need mm-hmm. eh, anyway. Yeah, sorry. Hey, um, Celia is the daughter of parents from opposite sides of yes. warring factions, and she was picked up at a very young age by a Federation ship and taken away to a neutral environment right. to be brought back to hopefully unite the two sides. And I kept thinking, who came up with this plan? Who orchestrated this? Was there like a, a distress signal from this planet, yeah. or is a ship just going by? Like, huh? I wonder what's going on down there through that atmosphere that we can't get through, and. If the Federation already did that, didn't they have a record of what Celia's people look like and can do and the atmosphere that they live in? Yeah, wouldn't you think so? Yeah. Wouldn't you think actually that, okay, so, right, so she is the child of of uh, people from either side of warring factions, as you say. Yeah. Right. She will one day, sort of like from, I don't know, the Dark Crystal or Willow, bring peace <laughs> to her land. Yeah. Wouldn't you think, actually, that raising this child from both sides would be the thing that would bring the two sides together? Well, yeah, you would think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, and also, to your point of wouldn't the Federation have some idea of who was on this planet, uh, mm-hmm. wouldn't Anya have some idea of who's on the ship? Because yeah, when, they, when right. they get there, they're like, hey, we're here to pick you up. And they're like, cool. By the way, what race are you? And the guard's <laughs> like, human? And it's just like, oh, good. That, oh, that, that so works. Excellent. Right. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. And I'm it, also it, confused it, how this whole thing is going to go like later. So they get a signal from one side of the planet that has the two warring factions for uh-huh. its entire recorded history, right? Right. The plan is for this kid to reunite the two sides. And they get beam down coordinates, but contact is only one way. So the Enterprise can't even be 100% certain that the planet is still on board with this whole reunification idea, right? <laughs> right. This right. could be like the bad guys or the good guys, whichever, because we're assuming that Celia is good. This could mm-hmm. be either the good guys or the bad guys going, no, no, really, it's it's fine. Just beam her down and <laughs> we'll be peaceful after that. I promise. Right, we're not right. standing here with bags of ultimate darkness to enslave mm-hmm. our princess. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 yeah, this is going to be awesome. Yeah, yeah. You, you need like an Admiral Akbar to alert them that this is a trap. Because <laughs> well, it could be. If it is a trap. That's the thing. It may yeah, not it be. Is, that's yeah. true. Yeah. But, you know, maybe somebody could beam down. Hey, maybe Wesley could go down with her. <laughs> and, and a spacesuit. And a spacesuit. And a big yeah. pressurized spacesuit. Right. Yes. Or Data, because oh. almost nothing ever happens to him. I mean, it's such a minor plot point, but I, I did wonder about that. Like, why why did it have to be a Federation ship that had picked them up, that had interfered at some point and picked them up all those years ago? It's like, come on, this is the one time you've got a kid from both sides. Let's let's just take her away from you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Why they don't raise her themselves, I don't know. But, of course, yeah. then we yeah. wouldn't have this magical episode. Right. Maybe that's right. it. And it's full of magic. Um, the 24th century is still just chock full of negotiating and treaties and mediators. It is as lousy with it. That's all the Enterprise seems to do. And I keep thinking that Kirk would be so out of place. He'd be so upset with this, you know. Well, Kirk would have fallen in love with um, Celia. And then she would never get down to that planet. Kirk would have been totally in place in this episode. <laughs> he would have been. He would have been fantastic. Yeah, he's, she still would have gotten away. It's just Bones would have had to talk him into letting her go. Oh no! Actually, here's how it would go. Right. It, it would be. It would be. Kirk falls in love with Celia because she she's gorgeous and she's she's just bright and cheerful and all this stuff. Yeah, and, and it's a really just a lovely affair like you're really pulling for these two and then minute number 40 is like oh hey look looks like we arrived at your planet see ya that's it <laughs> that, that well, that's kirk's way so you're saying it's no like, conflict at all it's just 40 minutes of kirk making out with the alien yeah, princess and then yeah and then like oh look too bad we arrived at where you have to leave me now so uh <laughs> i guess you gotta leave now <laughs> oh the original series uh how we miss uh-huh. you yeah, I was surprised that Picard would even ask about the nature of the conflict on that planet, because didn't he learn from Riva that it really doesn't matter? Yeah, that's especially true. after so many years. Right. Yeah. The whole of recorded history. Yeah. 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 That, that's that's a lot of history. What was that? And I was curious. What was the show that we saw where sort of the same thing was happening with the uh, with the aliens? Sorry, I know that's so not descriptive. Oh, all, oh that like, one. It's like Star oh. Trek. I'm, yeah. No, yeah. you know, with the guy and the and the and the kid. And they thought, oh, come on. You know the one I'm talking about, don't you? It's such a nondescript. I don't think we like the episode. Well, you're really narrowing it down. <laughs> the one we didn't like with the kid oh, and the thing on. and the aliens and the fighting. Oh. So it's not the one with Riva. No, it's not the one with Riva. It's the one. It's not, it's not Admiral Jameson going down to try to right the wrongs of 40 years ago. No, it's not that one either. It was, it was the, the couple. The uh, the kids and they were from opposite planets and it turns oh. out that one was pregnant. Uh, the amazing, oh, Okana. outrageous Okana, yeah. outrageous Okana. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it, another episode edited by the two who story edited by the two who wrote this one. That could be why it reminds me of that. Then that could be all yeah. right. Wow, kind of a one trick pony that pair, huh? <laughs> right. So why 
does Anya also have a form that is a young woman around Celia's age? So, I mean, I, I think what was interesting about this is that all those forms play a different emotional role in, in Celia's development. It's like, now I'm a teddy bear. Now I'm your best friend. Yeah. And now I'm the stern governess. But it, it seems like stern governess is pretty much or always what she is. Except I wonder what they were when they were on their planet. When they well, were I on, think they were the balls of light. You think that's where they were there? Well, because they said the atmosphere was the same. So why wouldn't they hang on. out like that in their in their quarters then? Maybe they're worried that they could be watched on internal video or... I guess, you know. except Picard keeps asking, is it okay if I turn on your view screen? Yeah. Or yeah. somebody jump in. Or somebody says, hey, what's that light coming out of the window off to the side? <laughs> I actually had a question about the Elasomorphs. So Warp says that such a creature as an Elasomorph would make a perfect protector, right? Mm-hmm. Should he not be thinking at that point about how to eliminate that one or all of them? Because mm. they're not only... Uh, perfect protectors. They're also just perfect at infiltrating. Yeah. Like he's yeah. saying they're talking to Picard. At that point, Picard could be one of these things. I mean, Worf, mm-hmm. especially being Worf, I mean, being a security officer in general, but being Worf in particular has to be thinking, well, now everyone has to die because any one of them could be one of these things, right? Right, um, right. I mean, because otherwise they could go totally, you know, invasion of the body snatchers or... Um, I can't remember. Were you an RPG player? Like, did you play Palladium or Rips or Dungeons no. and Dragons or anything like that? No, no. Okay, so in the Palladium yeah. RPG, uh, which is sort of like uh, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, but a different gaming system, mm-hmm. there's a character class that's called a uh, it's it's a shapeshifter. I can't remember what the actual name of the character class is, but you can sort of play a shapeshifter. The only problem is you can only sort of play them because on the Palladium world, once shapeshifters were discovered, they were hunted almost to extinction. Because, mm. you know, people got, you know, what a dangerous thing this is, mm-hmm. how they actually posed an existential threat to every other race on the planet. And so my first thought was, I mean, why didn't they put her in suspended animation Yeah, the way yeah, they right. did with that, you know, 12 year old slash 20 year old that beamed up? Right. Right. And then the other question I have is, why did it not occur to anyone at that point that Celia could also be one of these? <laughs> exactly. Because they exactly. come from the same planet in theory, although it turns out that Anya comes from a moon near the planet. But they come, they're the same race of people as far as anybody knows. And it turns out, well, that one's not people. Yeah. But boy, is she a good protector for that meat bag. Oh, right. which it turns out is also, huh? Who yeah. saw that coming? And they're living in the same environment. And right, all yeah, right. Yeah, and yeah. the same room. And right. they're, they're the same. But right. wow. Mm-hmm. Knock me over with a feather. Yeah. Or a big clump of fur. Although, to their credit, you know, the people who discovered that Anya is uh, an elasomorph, uh, with, and really all that matters, this is that Worf knows and Picard knows, and they kind of make decisions about that. Wesley is clueless about all of this. Right. So he doesn't even know about Anya yet until she shows up and, and breaks up their little party. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. But but you tighten up the security constantly. And, uh, and speaking of Worf, <laughs> except, man. Except when they call for security in sickbay and they walk in and, you know, there's the head of security right. about, about to have his head ripped off by this thing. Right. Right. Three right. of them draw phasers. Nobody does anything. They don't do anything. They stand there with phasers. I'm thinking you could put them on stun. Yes, there's a chance you're going to hit the security officer, but he's going to be okay. It's yeah, stun. Yeah. yeah. Why did they not? I mean, why was there the whole, ah, ah, <laughs> ah, you know, and then just, I let you win. <laughs> and, 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 then, and then Picard's just walking down the hall, apparently. Do, do, because, do, do, do. Yeah. They call for security and. 
Oh, uh, I hear I, there's a contagious yeah. disease in sickbay. I think I'll stop it and see how things are going. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, nice job. Um, nice job. We learned more about Klingon mating. Yep. Um, it was very funny, uh, actually. And, and, and we've had a few references to Klingon mating yes, so far. Yes, it was very it's funny. Even more elaborate. Yeah. I still, I, I'm still under the opinion that sex is something that happens to Klingons, not with them. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. The, although the screaming was hysterical, and yeah. and it was it was it was funny. You know, I mean, say what you want to about this episode, and I have a feeling we will have a lot to say about this episode. Sure. There are some funny moments in this episode. Oh yeah. Like that whole thing. Like yeah. when you come in on Warp screaming like right. that, and he's like, right. oh, "It's not the men who scream; it's the women and men," and they throw things at the men, and the men duck. Yeah. Well, his timing is great because yeah. he, he's sort of like relishing in the moment, like like thinking back to doing this. Yeah. And then he's like, I got a duck to avoid the furniture. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of it's kind of awesome. And they and the scene um, between Riker and Guinan. It's so great. It's it, that is. And, and if, yeah. if you if you told me that you were going to do that scene. I would be like, oh, are you sure you should? <laughs> right. Because I don't think that's going to work. But it was actually, yeah. The the uh, of course, I mean, Whoopi Goldberg is a is a comedian. Yeah. So it makes sense that she'd be able to pull off comic timing. But yeah, yeah. It, it it it's a it's a it's not an important scene, but it's a great scene. Well, it is something cool because you you kind of watch Riker and you go like, yeah, Riker. It's not just the actor Jonathan Frakes doing this, but Riker, the character, knows when and how to turn it on. Right. <laughs> you know, yes. like so there's something fun about seeing that. Like, I, I don't know if you watch Mad Men, but um, it, it reminds me of the scene where uh, Pete, one of, one of the guys in the office, is, you know, meeting meeting people at, at, a, at an awards function at an event. And uh, and he's sitting next to this young woman and um her dad is there and the, the, he's an older guy. He's a, he's a professor. Um, and and the, the, this guy keeps kind of ribbing Pete like, Wait, but you're an ad guy. What do you mean? Client relations. What do you do? And then Pete goes into this thing. He's like, well, let's talk about what you do. You wrote a book about this and that's brilliant. And you, you know, you taught people this. That's incredible. Your work is so amazing. Blah, blah, blah. And it, it, this guy is just totally buttered up. He's like, and Pete goes, that's what I do. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, it was fantastic. It was great. Yeah, it reminded me of this. Yeah. By the way, I'm 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 fighting being insulted. I'm not a robot yet, dude. Of course, I watch Mad Men. Oh, okay, okay, good. good. <laughs> and, and every all right, add it to the list because when we all get right. through Moonlighting yeah. and we get through Kolchak, yeah. that. That that's a show that needs deep analysis. Yeah, yeah. I, I and as do all of the characters on it. She's an old lady, a young girl, a cuddly teddy bear, and a Bigfoot. Anya is like an episode of The X-Files, in an episode of Next Gen. So the interesting thing about how many, what, we've done well over 100 hours of podcasts now. Oh, man. I know, and, and plenty more where that came from. Yeah. Um, what's funny, though, is I think you and I tell stories, and we forget whether or not we've told these stories or whatever. And um, online, occasionally it'll come up like somebody will say, I didn't know this happened, even though I know it's something that we've talked about on the show before. Uh, For example, um, a a young John Champion was actually uh, actually read for the role of Wesley Crusher. Yeah. 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 Uh, A a 15 year old John Champion in 
1987. Yeah. It was like March of 87. Uh, no, so I would have been 14. Yeah. Um, I, I read for that role. Yeah. And um, I, I remember it vividly and went to New York and um, got got the sides, got a callback, got put on tape. Um, I even posted to my Facebook page uh, a casting memo from like interdepartmental. And, and then I saw Gene's copy, you know, however many years later going through the archives of Roddenberry and like, oh, wow, there's my name that that actually happened. That's yeah. that's pretty amazing. So yeah. so I find myself watching this episode wondering, how would a young John Champion play this scene? Like, you know, the scene, you know, where, oh, you have to you know, walk around and look sort of love struck and carry the carry the magnet yeah. or, yeah. or or certainly uh, the uh, the the first kiss, the first on screen kiss. I'm wondering, well, how would a young John Champion play that? Well, you know, I, I've never really thought of myself as strictly like a method actor mm-hmm. necessarily, but but I think the the two words that come to mind uh, for a John Champion playing that role uh, would be full tongue. Oh, yeah, <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Now, is that the scene with the magnet or the scene with the girl? I, I'll let you decide. <laughs> I, I'll just say that I'm very dedicated to my work. Oh, wow, wow, yeah. nicely done. Please yeah. tell me you don't mean for the whole episode. Uh, well, you know, hey, hey, actors have to have freedom to to explore the character. All right. Okay, All right. so that's yeah. But, but you know what? Let, let's talk about those days when when we were younger, Ken. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, it, watching this episode, the thing that I thought of, uh, not just how I would have played that role, um, but when I was sixteen, the last thing that I wanted anyone to know was that I was interested in a girl. Certainly not adults. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no way that I would broadcast this to every single person that I would see and work with every single day. And this kid is just, he's going from room to room station to say, Hey, what do I do? Hey, what do I do? Like, yeah, you're kind of welcoming that line that Guinan has shut up, Wesley. I, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, well, shut up, kid. Shut up, yes. Kid. Um, I, yeah. I was honestly thinking, uh, as he was going around to every senior officer on the enterprise, uh, mm-hmm. Wesley needs friends. Now, you don't want this to turn into like a, a teen whatever. And of course, the last time Wesley had a friend, well, unless you count Mordock, uh, <laughs> last time Wesley had a friend, that friend stole a ship and nearly crashed it into a planet. And that was bad. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but yeah, Wes needs friends. We had over a thousand people on this ship. We've got families on this ship. Right. Unless there's like an age cutoff. It's like, okay, no, you're good. You're good with kids from like, let's say infant to like eight yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, then and there's a bunch of those 17. because we saw them get kidnapped one time yeah, yeah. we never see uh we never see uh we never see uh kids wesley's age and no. more importantly wesley never sees kids wesley's age right and, and maybe he should see I, i'm worried about that i'm still worried about the puppies what happened to them <laughs> you know you haven't been on uh you haven't been on twitter lately have you <laughs> oh i i have i saw <laughs> <laughs> but go ahead i apologize yeah. It's it's interesting. I mean, we're supposed to see uh, some some growing up in this episode, and and Wesley goes through that infatuation stage to the following in love, falling in love stage to the arguing stage, the resentment stage, to the making up and being friends stage, and literally like no time. I mean, this is a matter of a day, yeah, maybe that this takes place. And, and as for Celia. She's sort of, you know, new and fresh to everything. And her guardian is there to to take, uh, you know, take care of her emotional and personal growth. Although it seems like her diplomatic abilities are really not of anyone's concern 
they're just like, oh, yeah, you, you'll figure that out. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Right. Um, but she goes uh, from from following to disobeying to resenting to making up to kind of like an adult understanding also in no time. Yeah. This is all very compressed. And I feel like this is all actually really useful and and serious stuff for character development. But I also just feel like it plays out as this weird, like, you know, two act play, the, this totally compressed timeline. And I kept thinking, man, you know, maybe if the show had the ability to deal with longer arcs. And we've talked about this before on Mission Log, how. A show written in the 60s is different from a show written in the 80s, certainly different from a show written in the early and, you know, early 2000s and 2010s, where you do have these long character arcs that can develop over time. And I hate that we didn't get that with Wesley. It's just like, okay, well, here's the episode where Wesley falls in love and then he falls out of love. We get rid of the girl. Yeah, we went the same. (laughs) We got the same sort of after school special problem that we've had with Wesley all along. Yeah, I mean we're we're going to we're going to address his romantic development today. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) this week we're going to get this over with. Now, in fairness, I don't know how you would have actually written unless you did write other kids onto the show and things like that. You can't do this storyline over more than one episode. Yeah, yeah, because they're they're taking her someplace. I was also, you know, this is this is a total random aside, but I was weirded out. So they're going to wherever it is. Dalid four or whatever, mm-hmm. where she's supposed to be, right? And Picard says, "All right, so we got the magnet fixed. Let's let's get there as soon as we can." And Riker yeah. says, "Warp eight point eight. <laughs> right? What the heck? I'm yeah. sorry, just just for a second, because then they're like, "Well, how long would that take?" And she says, uh, three hours nine minutes." And I wanted Picard to go, and if we went warp eight point nine. <laughs> right, because I mentioned wanting to get there ASAP. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Can, can yeah. we just round it up? Can we just say nine? <laughs> warp nine. Can we you can do, do that. that? You know, yeah. there's even I hear there's warp ten. I oh. hear that we could actually get there uh, faster. And I I want to say that I said let's get there as soon as possible. <laughs> there's like this weird there's a weird thing going on with Picard in this episode. Like there's this other thing where Picard says to to Crusher, "So listen, uh, the 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 woman taking care of your girlfriend." is actually a big, scary, hairy beast. Mm. And what we'd really like is to not see her do that again. <laughs> right. So don't go near the girl. And, and, and Crusher says, I will do as you ask. And yeah. at that point, I went to Picard and say, oh, oh, really? Thank you. Because I was thinking maybe you would just follow my orders as captain. <laughs> no, yeah. that's okay. Though. As long as, you, you know, as long as, hey, however it gets done, I'm not really going to be a stickler on, you know, command. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he says a, he says a couple of interesting things in that scene, though. He says along the lines of, like, look, I, I would never step into the personal relationships of my crew. Yeah. Which mm. I thought was very interesting because I'm trying to remember, has he to this point? Well, well, no, okay. no. And, right. and, you know, we, we've had this former uh, relationship that we know that occurred between uh, Riker and Troy. And we know that they they played this mild flirtation early on with uh, uh, Picard and Dr. Crusher. Right. And I, I was just thinking this is an interesting choice, not only for a workplace, but this sort of quasi military structured workplace. Yeah. Um, but the reality is you're away for seven long, years, 10 a years, time, a dozen yeah. years. And you know what? In, in this enlightened f- future, we're just going to say, look, as long as it doesn't interfere with the work, we don't care. 
Just and, don't care at all. And even if it does interfere the work, we've got a ship's counselor. Yeah. And yeah, we, right. we've got holodecks and we got a thousand other people. So so really <laughs> right. there may be a little room for um yeah, there may be a little room for that for that kind of I don't want to say hanky panky. I mean it's it's more serious than that. Well, there, um, there could be hanky-panky going on some other part of the ship. Oh, there's hanky-panky going on. Oh, yeah. I feel certain. Uh, can we talk about a couple of other lines that I found really weird and questionable? Yeah. The line, and I guess maybe you could do this today. I'm not sure if you could or not. So there they are. They're in 10 Ford, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Wesley and Celia are in 10 Ford, and they're eating more chocolate. Yeah. Yeah, because that's apparently the only thing she's going to get to taste. <laughs> <laughs> right. so, great. They're getting, They're eating more chocolate, right? And Wesley, completely oblivious to the fact that she is going to lead a planet, yeah, reunify a planet, even though he does know this, you know, right. keeps saying, oh, no, you'll be able to go anywhere you want to and do anything you want to and all this stuff. And, you know, she says, well, no, I can't. And he's like, well, why don't you stay here on the Enterprise, which is an interesting idea. Also, I'm not sure that he, as acting ensign, actually gets to just, you know, issue invitations to stay on the Enterprise for forever. <laughs> but OK. So he says, yeah, I stay on the Enterprise. And she says, no, I can't. And she runs away. And Guinan comes over and says, just because a girl runs out doesn't mean she doesn't want you to follow. Mm-hmm. Would we write that line today? Um, in our in our no means no culture. And I'm not um, I'm not being I'm not trying to be terrible about it, but I, I, I just found the, the line interesting. It's like, hey, just because she says stay away from me. Yeah, it doesn't mean she actually wants you to stay away from her. Right, right. I, I see exactly where you're coming from. Now, honestly, I think that if I were writing or if I were story editing the script, yes, I would keep that in there. Because, I think, and here's the thing: I think I would too. I'm sorry, yeah. forgive me. Because, yeah, I, well, because in that particular situation, mm-hmm. what we're seeing is, yeah, it, she she's more, I think, flustered than mm-hmm. anything. She she's not like it, it's not like she threw a drink in his face and said, "Leave me alone." Right. She's she's upset at the emotion of the moment. She's conflicted. And this is a growth moment for Wesley, mm-hmm. which is like, "Okay, you you've done the job of having a conversation with her and charming her. Now you have to do the job of being sort of emotionally available to her as well." Yes. Okay, you that's know? interesting. I think I think one of the problems that I have and forgive me, I'm not because it, you're right. I mean, that is how mm-hmm. that scene should be written, I think. I think I get caught between thinking that all of the Wesley episodes read like an after-school special versus all of the Wesley episodes being an after-school special. Right. Do you know right. what I mean? And yeah. so yeah. the idea that the idea that somebody's going to go, no, 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 no is a thing that people say. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so right. don't worry and go ahead and do what you want. Um, obviously, that's not what's being said, although the line just kind of stuck out at me because – well, probably because uh, to an extent things have changed over the past twenty mm-hmm. uh, some odd years since that line was written. Yeah. I also found Anya's line just absolutely fascinating. There is always danger from one who is not your kind. Yeah. Um, yeah. Her her character is really interesting, and we'll probably mm-hmm. come back to why later. But that that line is sort of like, oh wow, that's a great thing to, yay. Yeah, <laughs> be sure and include that, and and especially again where and again maybe it's because I'm getting caught up in thinking of them as after school specials. Yeah, it's never actually illustrated that no, that's not the case. It's never stated point blank. Like Anya never comes to a to a point of saying, you know, I guess Celia's dealings with the humans hasn't been so bad after all. She's just like, you know, we're here. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and there's the thing. She, she's, you know, tough and abrasive and kind of horrible all the time. You know, she does have moments where she's emotionally supportive of Celia. Yes. But, yeah, th- this message, this idea of just saying, like, no, you you are in danger all the time at, from at, anyone who is not like you. At, at. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my imitation of her every time Celia tries to do something. Oh, I think I'm going to get <laughs> kind of like that. Uh, but I, I really wondered, was the show taking some kind of stance on this to show like, well, well, this is kind of a horrible attitude to have that mm-hmm. danger is just all around you. But then they they have this moment. They have this sort of bonding at the end of the episode, which felt forced for sure. Mm-hmm. But I wondered, like, was that some kind of endorsement of incredibly overbearing parenting because it's like, Oh yeah. I, in my mind, it was Celia essentially saying like, yeah, I, I get it. Everything you did, you did out of love. So thank you for keeping me from people and things that I love. And thank you for making me fear everyone around me. <laughs> you know, like it was really strange. I, I doubt it was an endorsement of it, but as you say, I mean, if you're not going to get more than 48 minutes of trying to grow Wesley up, then you're not really going to get more than 48 minutes of an examination of this either. Well, I mean, but that's that, the thing. you need to flip the channel over to 30 something. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but that's the thing though. Like we see, Celia tried to grow into herself and and taking these steps to be her own person away from Anya, yeah. who she's been with for 16 years or whatever. Yeah. But at the and like and you're kind of pulling for her. you're pulling for Celia to be her own person. But then by the end, like I said, the wrap up is just saying like, yeah, I get it. I get where you're coming from. So thank you for being that overbearing overprotective xenophobic you know yeah protector um where i maybe a more complex a more nuanced a more subtle way is to say you know thanks for doing that earlier on i get it thanks for doing that but i am also going to go be my own person i have my own experiences before i have to go do this other thing yeah except she's not yeah, she's not. 44 minutes, 48 minutes, that's how long you got. This yeah. is not a part one, part two episode. Man, if <laughs> right. it had been, the, the number of things being thrown at televisions <laughs> <laughs> right. when it first hit probably would have been insane. Yeah. Um. So I have a sort of a delicate um, uh, topic to hit, and I don't know how to hit it exactly. Hit it. Remember the creature that was in love with Zephyr Cochran in the original series? Absolutely. I can't remember the name of the episode, but... It was the one with Zephyr Cochran, you know, and uh, and the woman from Mayberry. Yes. Yeah. And yes. I can't remember the name yeah. of the episode because that's me. We sort of likened his reaction to finding out that the protector was in love with him uh, to yeah. a bit of gay panic on Cochran's part. He had thought that this thing felt one way about him. He thought it was just like, oh, it's trying to protect me. It's nice. It's my pal, right? Mm-hmm. But then he found out that it was actually in love with him, and it and and he just got completely skeeved out, like like to a to a a a like flight sort of reaction, right? Yeah, right. I couldn't help wondering if Wes, if we were <laughs> approaching, I couldn't help wondering if Wes knew all there was to know about the crying game at the end of this episode. <laughs> I guess that's one way to put it. I I I, I, okay. I couldn't help okay. thinking that this is. And yet I couldn't make an analog exactly. But, yeah. I mean, Wes has a total freakout, and he's mean 
Yeah. I mean, he is mean in this episode. Once he finds out, and he is, he, here's the deal, he is a smart kid. And he's an enlightened kid. And he's an enlightened kid. And he yeah. hangs out with adults all the yeah. time. Yeah. You would think that there'd be some, but he's like, he's mean to her. She's like, you know, oh mm-hmm. yeah, by the way, I can be a big hairy beast. Bigfoot, as you say. Right, right. You know, and she comes back. She's like, well, listen, I'm leaving. And he's like, well, good. <laughs> you know, like, uh, come on, don't be a jerk. And he's like, yeah, w- w- was it fun for you just like fooling me? Yeah. And it's like, wow, he has absolutely no um, no sense of like her side of this whole story. But then there was also the whole like, so it turns out this relationship that you thought you had is not exactly the relationship that you thought you had. Yeah. How are you going to deal with that? And the answer is he's going to be petulant, and then apparently something's going to happen off screen, and then he's going to be nice again, but only, only when you know she's going away forever, right? Right. There's no like, oh wow, so how am I going to deal with this going forward? Or oh, I thought we had one sort of thing, and you thought we had another, and so how do we work together now? Hey, good news, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Have some chocolate. As my parting gift to you, because it is, again, the only thing I know how to give you. Yeah, right. right. I just, it, it was, it was kind of like a, it was sort of like a, a, a peek into, like, had she been a recurring character? Like, had she been a new character on the series? Yeah, yeah. Then you might have had some real interesting stuff going on with Wesley. Um, instead, what you just had was, I mean, it's almost like a little, like, Twin Peaks peek at what Wesley's life could have been like. <laughs> Just like you got so much stuff to deal with in season three. Well, that's the more interesting part of it, isn't it? I mean, with Metamorphosis, there, there's the episode with uh, Zephram Cochran. Thank you. We we actually got to play with that emotionally a little bit with Cochran's reaction to what what the relationship was with the creature, with the cloud creature, right? And and we really got to ruminate on that for a long time. So then, by the end of the episode, you kind of have this statement about well it, did the the form of that love really matter all all that really mattered was that you had this creature that could express love and take care of this person right and in this we we just get the faintest hint of that but then you got wesley who's just running on all hormones all the time mm-hmm. and and he's either really really up or he's really really down when he finds out who this girl is that there isn't really a lesson for him. There really isn't, um, there really isn't sort of a moment of it dawning on him. If there is, it's off screen. Yeah. Because all we get is this like, I'm showing up with chocolate again. I'm sorry. Acted like a jerk. Goodbye. I'll never see you again. (laughs) (laughs) You you know? Well, that's the thing. I mean, yes. I mean, that moment does happen off screen. I mean, it's sort of like, we have like the interesting him falling in love thing him well him learning about love thing him falling in love thing he uses the word love far too fast by the way that's something oh, yeah. he's hopefully going to learn as he gets a little bit older right um and then yeah whatever happens as far as his revelation happens off screen i mean we have what we talked about in TOS all the time mm-hmm. which is you know oh what minute are we up to minute 40 mm-hmm. yeah we get we got to wrap this up so yeah. All right. So off screen, Wes has a revelation. Then he comes in and he's nice. And it turns out she's pretty, even prettier than she was before in sort of a different kind of, you know, let there be light kind of way and uh, scene. What's missing there is that all we can really infer is Wesley just going like, 
oh, I'm a jerk. I shouldn't be a jerk. So here's some chocolate as opposed to the the deeper, the sort of more adult understanding of love is cool because love is cool. Right. And, and I, I shouldn't just sort of let this this block that I have in front of me because I learned something about her get in the way of my maturity and and my ability to if not have a relationship with her because she's going away, but, but it has some respect and compassion and understanding mm-hmm. like that. That's the, the adult angle on it that, that we're missing. And maybe we're asking too much out of a teenage character, but this is also star Trek. And like you said, he's a genius and he's an enlightened kid who's, who's seen a lot and has been through a lot. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why I want more out of him. Yeah. I don't know that I want him to be totally cool. Sure. I think I want more. I want. I want the the whole idea to be addressed more because yeah. I mean, once yeah. you once you introduce that idea, and you do introduce that idea by, oh, I thought she was this, and she is literally a completely different thing than I thought she was. Yeah. Once you introduce that, then you've got his reaction, like as 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 horribly read as I feel certain the line would have been. And I feel certain it would have actually been an absolutely painful line of dialogue. I would like mm-hmm. for him to have said something along the lines of, I'm trying to understand. Yeah. Or yeah, even, yeah, yeah. you need to give me a minute. Right. <laughs> you know, right. Anything would have been fine. But just the whole, wow, I don't like you now because I thought you were one thing and you're another. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, okay, well, now I like you. But as you say, on condition that you leave the ship and never come back. <laughs> then then I can be cool with, you know, what we were and what we had, as long as I can keep saying it in the past tense. The only thing that might have made the episode more after-school special would have been a guest appearance by Scott Bayo. Anyway, that is my assessment. Now let us see what John and Ken thought. Ken, before we part ways and take our original forms, we, uh, we have to get to the part where we, we wrap it all up and, uh, and we, we deep analyze this show to determine if it holds up. So, Ken, I pose it to you. I, I think I know where this is going to go, but I pose it to you. Does this episode hold up let me start by saying this is not the worst episode of star trek ever this is not even the worst episode of the of 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 next gen nope uh, not at all that we've seen so far um but it doesn't really hold up i don't think i mean there there are some things that i really love like i mentioned earlier i love the relationship between um anya and Worf. Mm -hmm. i think the relationship between anya and Worf is actually very interesting they are able to look past the fact that she's a lassomorpher or an lassomorpher, xenomorpher, whatever, and you know he's a Klingon. There's like real respect between them, mm-hmm. you know, for what they do, and there's a little ribbing as well. And they they come to like this really neat sort of understanding. That's kind of fun. Uh, watching Riker play with Guinan is kind of fun. It it just doesn't work though. The episode doesn't hold up. It's not terrible. I kind of wish that I was able to access, well, no, because I would have been like 19 when this episode was on, which means it still would have read like an after-school special to me. I kind of wish I, I was a tiny bit younger when I saw this episode. Maybe I would have liked it more. I don't know. It, but it, it doesn't, It no, it doesn't hold up. There are some really interesting ideas presented, um, although 
I don't know, maybe they're more interesting ideas that we sort of dug out. I'm not sure. I don't know. What do you think? Um, that's interesting about Worf and Anya because they they could have a whole thing on their own. They could fight crime. I, and... I, I will tell you that I honestly found myself thinking, wow, so she is not going back to that planet. She's just going to go live off on her third moon. Yeah. I don't know if that's by herself or with her family or with whom, but her, I would love for her to have stayed on the Enterprise. Yeah, That right. would have been a really interesting character to get to know a bit more because, I mean, and there are any number of things that you could do with her character. It's like, okay, well, she's a shapeshifter. Yeah. And so people might not trust her. That would be kind of a neat thing for Star Trek to maybe look into one day. I don't know if they'll ever come up with a shapeshifting <laughs> character that we'll get to follow around and see how that goes with everybody right. else. But that might be kind of interesting. That would be cool. Yeah. You're also yeah. dealing with a character who has had one mission for 16 years. For 16 yeah. years, she's had one thing to do. And now it's like, oh, Everything that I've been about for a really long time now is done. So I'm going to find myself. And apparently what she's going to do is, you know, find herself on back in her hovel on her moon. Apparently it's <laughs> right. dusty or whatever passes for dust in their totally hostile environment and just <laughs> staring off at the planet going, gee, I wonder if they made peace. Ah, well, <laughs> I guess I'll never know. I'm sure I did fine. Anyway. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sorry, right. didn't didn't mean to interrupt you. I, I, Anya's character was honestly probably the most interesting character. Oh, he's sick. I I, I have a good remedy for that. Kill, Kill him. him. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Just yeah. she was she yeah. was a really a fascinating character. She was. Uh, she was about yeah. whom the show was not. <laughs> right. Um, I, I have to say that overall, I, I was kind of glad to see the Wesley falls in love and has to deal with some strange new feelings episode. Mm-hmm. I just wish it could have been handled differently as we talked before. Like, what do you do? How, how do you either build a longer arc out of it or deal with the, the emotions a little more realistically? Or how do you get back but not actually copy what was done in a show like Metamorphosis um, where you're, you're dealing with the, the form maybe having something to do with the statement mm-hmm. uh, that the show is making? Um is, but all of this might be, again, the differences between TV in the 60s, TV in the 80s, TV now, where you, you just sort of get to do different things with the characters. Um, or it might just be that the particular adult writers on the show weren't used to writing for teenagers. That's a hard thing no matter what. Um the drama seems manufactured, but I kind of like that there really is no A or B plot separation here. It's just the plot that involves everyone getting shaken up by these visitors in different ways. Yeah. But it's just a, a little bit of a more narrow focus uh, on them. And it's a bottle show. It's just all on the ship. Still, with all that, it just doesn't hold up. And, and it's too bad that it doesn't and it's too bad that this is a Wesley episode after audiences have kind of soured on Wesley to some extent you know we we've already seen him kind of be the guy to save the ship and kind of be a little mopey and whiny and and awkward so it, it's too bad that this fell at a time when there were people probably rolling their eyes saying oh man another Wesley episode really um <laughs> It, it could have been a thoughtful look at teenage characters. It could have been something that, like you said, if you had been younger watching it, go, wow, that's that that's an interesting thing to look forward to or not as I get older <laughs> into yeah. my teens. Um, 
so it's too bad. I agree with you. It's not the worst episode of Star Trek. It's not the worst episode of Next Generation. It's probably not even the worst Wesley episode. Um, I just wanted it to be better. Um, so no, it, it sadly kind of doesn't hold up. But even if the episode doesn't hold up, maybe there are messages to be found. Uh, how about you? Um, the, uh, <laughs> if we want to go to the whole idea of, you know, likening it to metamorphosis and the stuff that happened with Ephraim Cochran, I mean, that's kind of an interesting idea, except again, we don't really approach it or, you know, Wesley is able to be okay with the fact that the girl he loves is different as long as the girl he loves is going to go away. Yeah. I mean, so I can't even really say that that's one of the messages. I mean, I guess that's supposed to be one of the tacked on messages. I mean, it really, yeah. but it really is just sort of a tacked on message. Just like, oh, be fine with this because being fine with this is the right thing to do. And, you know, in this case, it's especially easy because there are literally zero consequences, except that, you know, Jordy might one day be walking around going, ha ha, you were in love with a Bigfoot. <laughs> I mean, otherwise, there's really, I mean, there's not, there are no consequences to what happens on this episode. And yeah. I mean, we've talked about that before and how they practically wake up in a new world every week anyway. Certainly that was right. true in the original series and the animated series, and it's somewhat true in Next Gen. Yeah. Um, it's it's hard for me to pull out those messages, though, because yeah. because there's I mean, there's literally no consequence to what happens. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that's why I feel like the messages that are in there feel a little hollow. Yeah. And, and it's not that they aren't good messages and it's not that there there isn't something to explore there, but they feel a little hollow and tacked on. So where you could have had this thing about love and compassion and it not mattering what this person looks like and I, it, we really don't quite get there we just get like wesley's being a jerk then wesley needs to not be a jerk right you and know? wesley is not a jerk and that's good right right and then you also like was talking about that that talk between anya and salia where i feel like we just try to wrap up that relationship really fast where there could have been something about leaving the nest you know, the, the, this girl has got to grow up and become her own person, even though we have this overbearing parent figure sort of controlling every aspect of her life. And that's why I wondered, is there an implicit message about, um, you know, this like weird endorsement of the of the overbearing parent? Because by the end, it's like, yeah, it's OK. You were doing your job. I, I get it. Thank you for that. <laughs> you know, so if there is something to be explored there again i feel like we dismiss it really fast it's just to get them out of the same room yeah you know it, it really is just serving that purpose of saying like well you're gonna go do your own thing see ya at least i won't be hovering over your shoulder when you go to the transporter room i gotta say though while neither of us think this episode holds up mm -hmm. it approaches something because generally speaking, if it's just a horrible episode, we'll just sit here saying it's a horrible episode. And we're both sitting here going, oh, see, if they had done that, though, that would have been really great. Oh, if they had just if they had just done this, that would have actually. Yeah. Yeah. Th this episode actually approaches good. Yeah, um, it sure does. Yeah. You know, in, in sort of the same way I approach money. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't actually mean I'm going to have money. Just... It doesn't actually mean this episode is good. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, well, should we talk about a message that does hold up? The one where Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. 
Oh, I like that one. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Roddenberry um, Entertainment, of course. You can find out more about that and a bunch of the other good work that uh, Roddenberry does because they do good work besides this show. Like there's the Roddenberry Foundation and then, of course, they got stuff they'll sell you. That's mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roddenberry.com is the place to find that. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That's Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. Next week, can we get to join each other in talking about another episode of Star Trek The Next Generation? This time, it's Contagion. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Do you have the song The Crying Game stuck in your head? Seriously, it is about to melt my circuits. And transmission. Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, oh.